Hi there, this is uh, Thea and uh, Amanda for our podcast, An Unconventional Life. Uh, we are going to talk about our uh, illnesses and chronic illness and our life with that. Uh, we did a poll on Twitter just to see what people were interested in and a chronic illness came up on top. Um, so we both have chronic illnesses and um, they they vary over they have varied over time and we've had more and less um i'll tell you about mine first um i think for me first firstly i was when i got ill um when i was younger i actually suffered from gastric problems mm-hmm. for most of my life i've had problems with digestion and uh, gastric reflux um it's not a massive thing but it can impact you on a small level just eating make sure you're eating the right things um you know i i didn't have many anything else really apart from that until until really i think it was around 2008 when i started having uh, pains in my hands and numbness um and then it kind of spread along to my um feet mm-hmm. um uh, and that was over a, a sort of a two-year period. I changed from I changed from being a plumber to a nurse, and then I, eventually, the the pain got so bad that I left um, nursing and went into tried to do something else less physical. I think um, any job involves using your hands and feet, unfortunately, in some way or another. Um, and I did ended up doing working for various office companies doing on telephone based things but even then it was it got too painful um in the end i think it was manageable um to a degree i got to doing three days a week um but even then it was with the stress of um amanda getting ill and her getting ill on top of it and our, my mental health getting worse that all kind of contributed to me finishing work um in 2016 i believe no it was later than that 2017 no 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 i think it was 20 maybe it was it was either 2017 or 2018 i think it was 2018 when we were both finally out we were both yeah i think it was over that sort of period of time we but you um, i mean you but you say you tried changing your shift pattern and your employer was very very good they, about changing they were, they were really good to try and help but there was only so much they could do physical wise they would give me aids and things like that but what never ever changed was the amount of work i had to do so i still had to do the same amount of work which as an caused... able-bodied person yeah. and who wasn't in pain yeah and there was no question of lowering my targets or anything like that it was always oh well we'll try and help you and support you but it but you know it was never oh well we could you know if you do less work but that that was never an option yeah and And that's what became harder to to accept was that i would try my really hardest yeah to 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 work and i would have pain in my hands um and my legs and my feet 
uh, and you know have you ha had to use a mouse they got me a, a rollable mouth it's still having to use an object and having your hand in a particular position you also had the thing um, that you were using so many painkillers to get through the day that you had a dry mouth and you were talking on the phone and that was problematic and you'd wake up in the morning you'd be in so much pain that you would just wake up and start throwing up mm. from the pain um uh, they put you know throughout i have tried various different medications to try and help mm. um and like amanda said the one that was that that did help with the pain but it, it made my mouth dry and so it was another terrifying prospect of of doing something that everybody else was able to do and was particularly my job was to talk to people so i would literally run out of spit and my mouth would almost start foaming and and, and going white and and if I didn't get a drink within a certain amount of time, I would not literally be able to speak. Mm. Um, none of these things are ever taken into account when you're working, and you just have to get on with it. And that's 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 the that's the attitude of most employers. If there's nothing that you know, if they, if if it's something that an aid to help you do it, that's fine. So if you're in a wheelchair, they can do things to help with that. Mm. Back pain, they can do things with help with that. They can't do things to help with mental health or anything that is caused by pain or anything mm. that's anything like that mm. um you know i my pain's still here mm -hmm. i still get it uh, every day um it's not just pain either it's sensory stuff isn't no, it no it pain is 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 a, is a broad broad word for it really it is um you haven't said what you've got it's called um small fiber sensory neuropathy so um i knew I, I thought it might be some neuropathy before i actually actually diagnosed and it's luckily it's not peripheral um neuropathy which is so that affects your extremities your arms your legs it affects your breathing it can you know it can even be kind of uh, lethal if not treated yeah you haven't got that. i haven't got that what i have is that we have small fibers nerve fibers that go across our body uh, our hands and legs and feet and and they're they're microscopic these fibers now they're different to the longer fibers which control your hands and movement but they still make a difference mm -hmm. so you can you can get um feelings of pins pins and needles is, is another one that people might understand so if you sit on your arm lay on your arm um, and you let go you will have pins and needles I get that all the time or ache or pricking so it'll be a particular finger will feel like you know, if you've ever been stung by a stinging nettle mm. um, that feeling of the pricking um, but I would have that only in one particular point mm. um, and you know when I when I first got ill with it 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 really affected my mental health mm. Um, I had grief counselling because part of my life had now vanished. Mm. What I thought my life would was going to be and what I thought I could do in life. Mm. Um, you know, we've always, before we both got seriously, chronically ill, um, we're both walkers happy to walk everywhere, everywhere. Um, we would go on hikes to uh, churches and woods and all over the place and um, 
that part had to disappear in in its form that it is so I can still walk and I can still move my arms and legs but what it is is the more I use them the more they hurt um, so any kind of exercise has to be a kind of risk benefit if I do a certain amount of exercise I can push myself mm. to do the exercise but how is it going to affect me down the line is it going to affect me doing normal things is it going to affect me keeping getting get you know doing chores mm. doing cooking food ironing uh, you know we don't iron the clothes <laughs> because of that reason we you don't know have i the wash energy. i wash my clothes i hang them up as, as best as i can and I, I you know having to iron and sit there i, I you know and i and i was always really proud whenever i was working you know i would literally when i was a nurse i would iron my uniform every day mm. um but something has to give when and so you in. have to you have to adjust mm. to something that you're not not familiar with or are able to do so you have to you have to try and navigate a world that is not suited for you mm. in any way um i initially got applied for pip got rejected um no i got a small amount for tra for for moving yeah, because obviously i had to use for me long trips walking trips are a no-no now uh, i i can do them but it's it's painful and you know why would you willingly do anything that you could that caused you pain if you could do something that helped so um i was given, initially given a small amount of money to help pay f for the for the transport costs mm. um then yeah, that was taken away that was taken away which was another devastating mm. devastating thing it's a devastating to think because they changed the rules mm. so effectively one moment you feel like oh well i'm being supported somewhat by the government they're going to help me because i've got ill mm -hmm. and then to be told oh no sorry we've changed the rules um and now you're not going to get any help mm. um reapplied didn't get anywhere um and it's all to do with these descriptors and if you don't give the right description if you if you say what? you do anything beyond what they feel that you know they 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 tell a story to somebody else who tells a story to somebody else and then they mark you on that so there's never a human element the person that you talk to in the interview it's not the person making the decision. They've never got to look you in the eye and say, oh, sorry, you're not ill enough mm. to get any help. Mm. It used to be that if you got ill, they would help you. Now, if you get help, if you get ill and you're not, and you can't prove it in enough ways and you don't convince them, even when you do convince them, because sometimes they make up stories, they tell, uh, they, 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 the mis truth. they misrepresent you. Yeah and um, they won't help you anymore mm. and that has the devastating effect of feeling well so i'm not worthy to get help they don't want to support me it actually had a devastating effect on my mental health mm -hmm. i was you know we became we both became housebound mm -hmm. for two three years um mine was was not as physical but more mental because i felt under siege i felt unable to relate to anybody in the outside world because mm. everybody was able to do things that they could do, wanted to do 
and whereas mine was always uh, um, especially when you were real was was I had to make sure that I was well enough to look after you mm-hmm. and Oscar as well mm. so what happens often in those cases is is that you end up not looking after yourself mm-hmm. and you know it was it took me getting therapy myself and going to um, getting a private therapist and speaking to them once a week for about a year and then uh, and then it became less and less yeah, over time and now it's monthly now it? I'd speak to someone monthly and although I don't need them as much now because my mental health is better we're in a better position I still have it to maintain the level that I'm at mm-hmm. mental health is is not something that's just fixed ticked and then carry on because it's a constant battle because our brains are wired to focus on the negative we're also taught by society that our worth is based on what we can do uh, and what we can achieve and mm. when you get chronically ill and you're unable to work and you're unable to do all these things that people uh, expect you to be able to do you you go through this phase of well what's my worth what am i what it, especially when the government's going oh, well, we don't think you're ill enough. I mean, we've been to tribunal three times in two years, mm-hmm. twice for you and once for me. Um, because they were like, well, you're ill, but you're not ill enough for us to support you. And and this is us saying, you know, we are housebound, we can't function, um, but because our symptoms are um, fluctuating... Mm-hmm the system isn't set up for that you have to be like that all the time Mm. if you don't present if you present um one good day they Mm -hmm. will take that as a you can do that all the time yeah yeah and if you said the thing is we most of us try and be honest about things Mm -hmm. like this and are not pathological liars yeah so we'd say So, so most people will say the truth Oh, well, I had a good day this day, I had a bad day this day, or, you know, and probably we won't be telling everything that we, we can actually tell us. And, you know, so the whole system... Well, you don't want to admit how crappy your life is. It, you know, I don't no. want to have to admit that there's times that you have to bathe me in bed because I'm too ill and I've not been able to shower for three days. It's dehumanising. Mm. But that's what you have to do. And even when you put it in those terms, they still go, oh, well, you can still shower yourself on a good day. So you don't need any help. Yeah. Um, So I think for me, you know, I I still have problems, but, you know, they're not as debilitating as they as they have always been. You know, that's because you can manage better. I can manage better. I think our situation is we're not in a, a stressful situation. Mm. in respect to where we live and you know I don't get much money for for caring for Oscar and Amanda I get nothing for caring for Amanda no I'm I'm not considered ill enough so you get it for Oscar because Oscar has and that's 67 pounds per week and And, and bearing in mind to get carer's allowance he had to prove sorry she had to prove that um she works uh she provides 
at least 30 hours of care per week to our son on top of what would be expected yeah. for a child his age. So that's 30 hours. That's that's pretty much a full-time job, and yet it's £67 a week. Mm-hmm. You know, um, unpaid carers are actually saving the our system mm-hmm. mi- millions and millions of pounds mm-hmm. because they get it basically on the cheap Mm. um but then the the effect it has on the actual carer is the hard thing because Mm -hmm. they don't get a chance to go on holiday um we you know they're they're the we're very limited Mm. on what we can actually realistically do Mm -hmm. nowadays and i think that's the same for a lot of disabled people you know there are schemes, and I know there are, that help with people who are disabled. But again, there's a kind of gatekeeping that, you know... You have to be a If it's just level. a matter of you can't use your legs, then it's very clear-cut for them because mm-hmm. they can just move you around to somewhere else, have people to help you. Mm-hmm. But if it's anything that's invisible, that's anything that that is variable, then it, again, it's harder to... to to prove that it's harder to to get anyone to see it help and i think you know it's it's very hard to 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 try and plan things there's also the burden of having to apply for these things the mental and emotional energy that it takes to fill in forms to the, the bureaucracy is, yeah. is is absolutely abysmal um as soon as you get into any of these systems universal credit pip they're not designed to help you. Mm. They're designed to make it as hard as possible so that you stop doing it mm-hmm. and don't have money. Mm. And, you know, perversely, they th- they're they trying to save money by doing things on the cheap. And it, in fact, it just costs us in other ways. Mm. It costs us in, in economic output. If you don't support people into work, even if it was, you know, if you could get someone into work two days a week or one day a week mm-hmm. isn't that better than not getting them in at all or even two hours a day yeah the, 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 there's no there's no provision for that in our modern world and there should mm. be we've you know we've had people working from home now for mm. over a year if that option had been for me there's a chance that i could have stayed in work oh yeah disabled people have been told for years that that's impossible and as soon as the pandemic came along it was like oh yeah you can actually work from home yeah and there always was that situation Mm -hmm. if you know i remember from my workplaces that uh there was always a you know if there was a snow people couldn't get in there was always a, a a plan for that and that was a natural event but if you're got if you're ill or disabled you know it's a different story Mm. do you want to talk about yours yeah i can do yeah um as you can possibly tell um from fia's uh sharing of her experience it's a very emotional thing for us it's something that actually has impacted our lives a lot um in very negative ways particularly over the last five six years as my health has deteriorated Mm. um because at the end of the day there's not just one of us who's ill we are both chronically ill we're both disabled we also have uh, a son who has autism and adhd so we all have 
um, needs and requirements. Yes, beyond the normal. Beyond what is is, is expected. Typical. Yeah. So you know, we we are working really hard, and we worked so hard to stay in work. So like Thea, when I met Thea, she was a plumber. Then she retrained in healthcare. Then she went into um, office work and admin. Um, and same with me, I've worked, I've never been in, in a role more than 18 months, I don't think. I might have gone up to about 20 months for one of them. And a lot of that is because the work has got to a point where, you know, I've experienced workplace discrimination. I've experienced burnout in jobs. Mm. So I've had to then change to, to be able to stay in work. Um, and when I became too ill to actually um, stay in employment I went freelance because I was determined to stay out of the system because we knew first of all there's this stigma around being in the system you, nobody wants to be reliant on the state but also it is really hard people say oh um, you're you're doing it so, it must be so lovely to be at home all day and um, you know to get get given money by the government it is so unbelievably hard to get support and the amount of support we get is not actually enough for us to live on mm. um we've had to rely on family to to bail us out in the past um and uh, we got put into social housing when we first were both first out of work um but we've been living in poverty and the only reason we're doing as well as we are now is because i inherited some money and so that is a buffer for us but we're still using more money than we have coming in because being disabled costs money there are additional costs that people don't think about so you know you have to drive everywhere so there's the cost of running a car and, and getting more petrol and you sometimes have to um, order food to be delivered and um so you're shopping somewhere that's more expensive than you would possibly normally go. Mm. Um, you've got uh, certain dietary requirements because you can't eat the cheapest food because it upsets your system. Uh, you can't batch cook because you just don't have the energy to do batch cooking and, and, and do things in bulk. Uh, you can't always prepare food. So like Thea is terrible at chopping because not only does it hurt, but she's also likely to cut her hands um, because you have problems with the spatial awareness and where your hands are in place and you can't always tell where things are. Um, so you're buying pre-prepared things which are more expensive and mm -hmm. there's all these different costs that come with it that mean that it is more expensive to be disabled and yet you have the lowest income. Yeah. Um, and, you know... I there's 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 a you know you can still support people in a, in a modest way nobody wants gold-plated toilet seats or anything like yeah. that but you it's just, just to be able to live a decent life yeah and being able to have you know be able to do things and you know and get out and with your your you've always had chronic conditions i have throughout yes. your life but they've been of varying degrees yes and i look back and i realize that because we because i grew up in an ableist society there was a lot of time i didn't even realize how much it was having an impact on me mm -hmm. but until my early 30s that impact was still something that i could um 
negate in a way. I could mitigate, I could yeah. make, mitigate. That's the word I want. Yeah. Um, so when I was a child, I was diagnosed with asthma at the age of two. Um, I was always accident prone. The amount of times I was up at A and E, the amount of X-rays I've had in my life is absolutely ridiculous. Mm. Um, I was underweight. Uh, you know, you could we've talked about it before. You could count my ribs. I was always covered in bruises. I didn't find out until I was in my 30s that I have a genetic condition called um, Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. I have a hypermobile form of it. So I was diagnosed at 17 with hypermobility, but I didn't realise I had this genetic condition that affects every part of the connective tissue in my body. So it affects the collagen, collagen, it affects the ligaments. You know, I have really bendy nails. My joints have a habit of popping out of place, which was why I was so... Um, clumsy as a child my my joints just don't move in a normal way I'm, I remember a physiotherapist trying to reteach me how to walk and stand properly in my 30s because I'd been doing it wrong my entire life mm-hmm. um, and up until my 30s it didn't really matter so much because my body was young enough to be able to deal with, deal it. with it and um, and I think stress stress always comes into play yeah. if you're in a, a situation where you're you've not got as much mental stress then the physical things are are a lot easier to deal with yeah yeah yeah. you can people can deal with pain to a degree Mm. to a degree um or discomfort but you can't deal with that if you have the the mental pain of or the mental stress and and the responsibility not being able to to rest so i look back at you know, I started getting, my, my asthma cleared up when I was a teenager, but then I hit puberty. My joints became incredibly painful. I remember sitting in class and feeling like someone had taken an ice pick to the side of my knee and was just digging behind my kneecap. And I'd just sit there in class, like grinning and bearing it and just dealing with it. I I don't think many of my friends knew about this at all. And, and my period started and I was diagnosed with endometriosis at the age of 21. Um... I was told very lucky to be diagnosed so young, but I started seeing a doctor when I was 15 about that, and that was two years after my period had started. And you you ended up having to go with a a raft of information that you had put together on your own. Oh, at 19, a a gynaecologist turned to me and made me cry and said, there can't possibly be anything wrong with you. You're young, you're not sexually active. Um, It's just because you're on the mini pill that you're having these problems so come off it and he made me cry and kicked me out of his room because I was crying into a into a um, busy waiting room and I was mortified and it took me two more years to gain the um, confidence to go back in and try again mm-hmm. um, medical gaslighting is huge in the chronic illness community even when you've got the diagnosis even after the diagnosis of endometriosis I remember going to see a gynecologist when it started causing problems after I'd had Oscar mm-hmm. and unfortunately Oscar had decided to fill his nappy and you'd gone to clean him up and I ended up going into the room on my own and the gynecologist was like well why are you so against having another baby because that would give you nine months um, free of the endometriosis and I just looked at the nurse and I was like what the hell like first of all I've just told you I had high premises and it wasn't treated I was never admitted. I I wasn't given medication that helped until my fifth month in my pregnancy. You barely ate or drank for nine, ten months, basically. Yeah, I, I barely functioned. I couldn't even open my mouth 
to speak without gagging because it was so intense. The nausea was so intense. Um, and I was like, so, and he says, oh, well, we treat, we treat it better now. And I was like, it's been a year. How are you treating it better now than when it was last year? You know? And also, even if that wasn't a problem, having, you know, getting nine months free of a, of, of a chronic condition is not a reason to have a baby. No. That's such a ridiculous, ridiculous response. Um, and actually, it was really hurtful to me because I went through a massive amount of grief and trauma over the idea that I could not have another baby. Mm-hmm. That we decided that it, my pregnancy was too traumatic and neither of us would survive another one. No. Because it had a massive impact on your mental health. And it had a massive impact on, on your mental my mental health. health. Um, you know, I threw myself into charity work afterwards. And that um, was too much. I, I was so determined that other women would not go through what I went through. But then hearing every, every day women going through the same thing that I had gone through over and over and over again and not getting anywhere with the medical community or the progress that was being made was was so slow and these women were still suffering it was so intensely mentally damaging to me Mm. um Mm -hmm. so going back like you say i've always had this issue always had pain since my teens uh i went a little bit off (laughs) track there but as a teenager i could get through it because i went to school i came home i did my homework i didn't have to cook my mum did that I didn't have any responsibility. Yeah. I could just come home and rest mm-hmm. and recover. And that mm-hmm. was how I managed to cope. Same at university. You know, I, I travelled. I did a, a, a language degree. So I did a lot of travelling during my time. I even went on camps for disabled teenage girls. And I was, you know, lifting people who were heavier than me, you know, between two of us on a campsite. And, you know, there'd be times where I'd be like, go down, go down, go down. Because my n- knees would just go out and I won't be able to lift someone up but I managed it wasn't an issue because I could then go home and sleep for a week and recover yeah um the problem started when I came out of education Mm -hmm. and didn't have those long holidays Mm -hmm. I didn't have those long holidays to recover from a period of, of intense work um and that became challenging I went through um, fake menopauses caused by um, treatment. I mean, we met in 20, uh, 2007. Mm-hmm. We moved in together in 2008. Mm-hmm. 2008 was the year that you came out of plumbing and retrained. And I had my first fake menopause, which made me paranoid as hell. Mm-hmm. It was terrifying. I had a really bad reaction to the medication. Um, you had labyrinthitis. I had labyrinthitis that time. Uh, and then 2009, I had my first, it wasn't, it was my third surgery, but it was the first one you um, went through with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, that was when I was working in a place that was very discriminatory towards me. Yeah. Um, I remember going to see my union rep about it and they were like, yes, we know this person's a bully, but do you really want the stress of dealing with it? And I was like, well, why am I even paying my union fees if you're not going to help me? Yeah, I think that they were, they've been, unless they actually have a stake in it, they don't really care a lot of the time. Yes. Yeah, so I basically left that job um, 
because I was commuting. I was out seven o'clock in the morning to seven o'clock in the evening, working 11 out of 14 days. So it had a massive impact on my mental and physical health. Um, so we moved. To... We moved to Grantham at that point, didn't we? Yeah, we moved within Cambridge. We moved from a flat to a house in a village, but we only managed that for a certain amount of time because it was, it was a year because because you were doing shift work at the hospital yeah so i couldn't get a lift in with you and the village bus only came like once a uh, once a day so you had to get the earliest in and almost the, and latest, the latest one back. back yeah so i was out pretty much seven till seven um and it was after that after we you'd finished that and we moved back in with my parents briefly that you got some time and i, I was still working recover. and so we didn't have to pay rent but we was you know we were still somewhere uh, you could actually recover again yeah. and then we moved we moved to Grantham I I had a role in the Grantham hospital and the Lincoln hospital as a bank nurse yeah um, which was as and when they needed me so it wasn't always there wasn't always enough work for me and I yeah. had hardly anything to to survive on and that was when you had to try and find something Oh, no, and I had I worked as a dinner lady during a high-premises pregnancy, which is the most crazy thing you could imagine. You know, I can barely talk without throwing up, and I'm sitting there watching kids eating food. It was... Sometimes my mantra was, don't throw up on the kids, please. Don't throw up on the kids, please. Don't throw up on the kids. The whole time I was there, like, for the lunch period. Um, but, yeah, and then I returned to what you, your mental health took a massive nosedive because of the pressure that you were under to provide for us. Um, and so when Oscar was coming up to a year, I was like, I should start looking for work. 2012, was it? Yeah, 2012. And I got... At, the plan was actually for me to get a, a full-time job and you to then stay at home with Oscar. But it was hard um, for me to... For me but I found a part-time job and we yeah. decided to just put him in childcare for that time. Mm -hmm. But what happened was, as I got a part-time job, the support we were getting for things like um, working tax credits and things all changed. And we ended up, basically my salary just went on paying childcare. Mm -hmm. So then um, I ended up getting two jobs. I was working two jobs with a child and I was writing a book and we went through a period of time where your mental health was spiraling my physical health and mental health was spiraling because we were raising a toddler mm -hmm. who never slept who never slept who we would never hard it would be um no word of a lie we would spend two three hours trying to get him to bed every night if, and if we didn't you know we would still you know we would still be awake but then we'd be tired and you know it would if we managed to get him to bed at 10 o'clock mm. that was a miracle because oh sometimes we'll be up to like two in the morning well yeah and then then you have then if you're dealing with that you're not dealing with looking after yourself mm -hmm. you're not self doing self-care mm -hmm. you're not you know not doing things that you enjoy mm. you're just doing things that you have to do so, to survive yeah and the more that happens the more you're just surviving and doing mm. things the more you get resentment, the more you get frustration with with each other, with everybody around you and with society mm. in general. Mm. Because we were on our own, essentially, living in Grantham. And I think that was, you know... Yeah, we were away from family, weren't we? Yeah, and it got to a point where the, the job I was doing, I'd changed role three times within the job. I'd started just on 
doing data entry but then in, in the end they put me on the place that I really did not want to be which was on the phones talking to people mm-hmm. um, but they did that anyway mm. and it was either that or hit the hit the road and I couldn't couldn't think about it, getting a new job and you know there was a point where they the way they did it was they got everybody down and said got everyone standing up downstairs four people who said right you've got to choose you've got to choose whether you want to do this or not um you've got to decide right now um and that day i remember feeling suicidal because it was putting you on the spot it was you know and i was already suffering a lot still just trying to get through the day through the work day and be alert enough because of the medication i was on and that was that was that was the point where my mental health took a massive dive um yeah and then we realized we had to move we couldn't well that happened when we were i'd based 2014 was the year that broke me Mm. um and i was i was in a role where like i say i was talking to women who were going through what i'd gone through and I was working from home and I was working without support and it was having a massive toll on my um, mental health. And I ended up being made redundant from that role at the very beginning of 2015. Mm-hmm. And then I went for job interviews and three times I went for a job interview and was told, oh, yeah. uh, we really like you, but you're too qualified for this job. And I was like, I'm just looking for a part-time job. You don't understand. Because I was coming from a, a, a supervisory position and I was in my early 30s, they assumed that I would want to be working my way up the career ladder and I would get bored in this job. And I was like, seriously, I just want a job I can come to, I can do, I don't have to think too hard about, I can go home, I can recover. Yeah, leave it there. But nobody wanted to give me that kind of job. So that was really hard. And I finally found a job, found a charity, it was a charity shop, they were willing to, they were like, oh, actually, we'd quite like someone who's got your, stop doing that, they're going to pick up on the... um and just to explain to everyone why i've just told thea to stop doing sheeps um wiping the tray that the microphone's on and i don't want it to annoy people (laughs) don't worry about me (laughs) um so yes getting back to it um found this job we needed to move relocate um to lincoln and um it was three days before we moved and you came home from that role massively you came home and you were suicidal and it was the most terrifying moment in my life because i had to sit there and somehow you were so angry but you were also like the world would be you'll be better off without me and i remember having to sit there and desperately try to persuade you that our three-year-old son who could not even wrap his head around the fact that we were about to move house would not be better off without you how could I possibly explain to him that his dad was no longer there and I did not know how to get through to you and it was a terrifying moment um and I also remember feeling really guilty that I hadn't seen how much your mental health had spiraled because there was so much going on in our lives we were dealing with so much that I felt like I'd become so self-absorbed with what was going on in my life that I hadn't been attuned to what was going on in your life. Because mm-hmm. um, we were in survival mode, both of us. Um, and it was it was a really hard time. 
Um, I think we both, in you know, I I got a little bit better and I got some help after that. I went on antidepressants, but you know, I, I eventually found another role doing something kind of similar. The company was great. You know, they were a much nicer company. They were a much nicer company and better run in a lot of ways, which was always, which was, which was nice. But again, the trouble I found was that I was a lot older than a lot of people there, Mm. and I was a lot iller than people there, Mm. and that's never taken into account. You know, I would have sick days because I would feel so ill from the stress of it, having Mm. to talk and thing and i would get physically sick Mm -hmm. um so i'd have a day off and that would go against me Mm. and then i would try and work overtime but that never went for me Mm. i would do sometimes you know eight nine o'clock till nine in the evening and i tried to do that if i if i could as much as i could but if but but that never went towards anything Mm -hmm. so even if you if i could work when I was wasn't feeling as bad, but that never kind of got taken into account it was through the here. system because it was the Bedford um, Bedford scale where mm. it's the amount it's the amount of instances you're off. Yeah, um, not how long you've been. Off. Yeah, so you if you have one instant off, but it's a year, that's fine. If you have two instances off, or then three instances, you start getting warnings, mm. and it's like, well, I'm chronically ill. I'm gonna have. I'm going to be ill. I'm but they, they don't care about that because for them, it's all about you're a unit to work. Mm-hmm. You're a unit that provides a resource. Mm-hmm. And if you're not there for that resource, they don't like it. They don't, they're losing money. You know, mm-hmm. they're losing a potential resource. Mm-hmm. That's the way they think about it. You don't, th- you know, that didn't matter that you were good at your job. And no, you did. it didn't matter that I was good at it. Yeah. I was diligent and would try and do extra if I could, Mm. that never went for you. And Mm. that is ableist. Mm. You know, and there's nothing you can do about that because it's all well and good having an Equalities Act, but to to get help to enforce that, how do you do that? Mm. How do you get someone to enforce something? You know, unless you've got time and money to have a lawyer or to have a solicitor to deal with these things mm. you you can't do it realistically mm. and most people can't and mm. people will get the same with the you know my niece recently she went for a job in holland and barra got rejected and everyone was saying oh you should phone them up and ask them why and they she phoned them up and they said to her we didn't give you the job because you have dyscalculus and there's a lot of money and work n- numbers involved, which is completely illegal. But but then they can get away with can it. Can you fight it? Yeah. Because who are you going to complain to? Yeah. She wrote to the the company, but they did obviously they did nothing. They they you know, and it's her word against the manager. And who are they going to take? The manager. Mm. They're going to take the other people because but they don't care because and and this is the problem. We've got a world of work that's not designed for 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 people who are disabled mm. um if you have people... certain disabilities they can make allowances but it's not designed to help people who go out of that yeah and the thing is what people dynamic. don't understand is that we would both love to work 
We would yeah. love to be able to work. We miss working. Um, and and I, you kind of hope that people through lockdown got a little glimpse of it's not fun to be stuck at home all day. It's really not fun. It's isolating. It's boring. It's you know, you know we 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 said jokingly that when lockdown happened that we'd been preparing for it for many years. Yes. Because we had been in lockdown for at least two years. For at least at two years point. before that, because yeah. we couldn't go out because we'd have nowhere to go. Yeah. We didn't have any money to go and do anything anyway. anyway. So we couldn't go out. Yeah. So you end up in a spiral of oh, I don't have any money. And there's nowhere to go. And I have no energy. And I have no energy. And Or even if I do have energy, I need to keep it so that I can do these things that I need to do. I mean, that's the same with me. Um, 2015. So 2014 was a year that kind of broke me. But I was just recovering. Mm. And then in 2015, I got a cold. What I thought was just a cold. Continued to work through it. Um, and after that, I started getting three-day migraines. That quickly went up to five day migraines six day mm-hmm. migraines mm-hmm. um within a year they were like 10 days and now i get them like 50 percent of the time at least um and i was i was working in a furniture store for a charity and i would be so cold it was physically painful i would be wearing six layers on top mm-hmm. on my top half and i would still be cold mm-hmm. um and I would work for three days and then spend the rest of the week feeling like I had the flu. I would have... Uh, sitting on the sofa was too hard. Mm. It was t- took too much energy. And I was like, what's going on, on with me? Um, and I went through all these different tests and saw... I saw an immunologist, an endocrinologist, a rheumatologist, a cardiologist. I mean, they did everything. Um and in and, the end, what did they say? Well, the rheumatologist changed my diagnosis from hypermobility to Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome because of all the things that were going on. Um, she wasn't sure what to diagnose, but she decided to diagnose fibromyalgia slash chronic fatigue. Now, I don't think that fibromyalgia fits me. I think the pain that I have is more to do with my joints and my uh, Ehlers-Danlos than fibromyalgia. I think ME is more of a... But, but Especially because my mum has ME, my uncle has ME. It came after a virus. This is what happened. The immunologist yeah. found out. The virus basically that caused that malaise. That's what triggered it. So for a good year after that cold, my immune markers were out. My white blood cell count was down. My complement levels were down. Mm. And the immunologist reckons it wasn't a cold. He reckons I had a strep virus. Yeah. And that is what triggered this autonomic autoimmune called cascade effect yes and so that that made everything worse and that i could no longer walk up the stairs without my hips popping out i had to go up on all fours and come down on my bum Mm. um which was why we were moved into another reason we were moved into a bungalow Mm. um which wasn't really big enough for a family it was made for like an elderly couple but it meant that i could at least access all areas of the house uh Mm. we've now moved into a property that was my uncle's and we went from my parents so we're in a much better position right now um but we went through a period of time where you know to to deal with my access needs we ended up in this tiny little space that wasn't really big enough for a family it wasn't big enough it was designed for uh, an old couple um to have one room and then a, a spare room yeah um but it wasn't designed for a family it was you know that 
the two rooms were not enough and you know because of how it affected your sleep oh yeah we had to do bed swapping i because every my night sleep i don't night. get very good sleep um and i can't cope with someone shuffling around next to me and fear shuffles a lot because of her pain so there were we were basically at the moment we have a we have three bedrooms now oscar has a bedroom you sleep in the main bedroom and i sleep in the spare room so we haven't shared it's your room <laughs> yeah we haven't shared a bedroom since we moved here last august yeah because the only way we're going to get any any kind of decent quality sleep is to do that when we only had the two bedrooms oscar would basically be in the room in the big room with one of us and one of us would be in his room which wasn't ideal for either of us we no. had we had a, a need for another bedroom yeah um because it wasn't fair for him to have to keep doing that no he needed his own space um and you know he's not a, it's not a small lad no no no. he's he, almost he, as big as me he's, so you he's know as big as you and he, so we wouldn't get quality sleep or one of us would be able to get quality sleep and the other might not. And so we were constantly shifting, weren't we? We were switching. constantly swapping from bedroom to bedroom. Because and at so... least with Oscar, once he's asleep, now that he yeah. has melatonin to help him sleep, he's asleep. So I yeah. could sleep next to him because he doesn't shuffle around as much because he's not in the pain that you are. So I could I could sleep in a bed next to him, whereas I can't sleep in a bed next to you when you're in a lot of pain. Mm-hmm. And I think you also, you, you still struggle to get to sleep. Oh yeah, it would take me hours to get to sleep. Whereas right? before, I would. You go to it, sleep It was like different that. because sometimes I would be working late shifts, so I'd come back at nine o'clock and I'd still be wired. So I would quite happily stay up until mm. another three or four hours, and you would go to bed at eleven, twelve. And I'd anyway. go to bed, and I'd finally fall asleep, and then you'd come in and wake me up just as I was getting to sleep, and that would make me feel awful. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it was not. It was not a good um, situation. And so since 2015, my health has deteriorated, got worse and worse and worse. Last year was the worst because I got labyrinthitis in the beginning of the year and it set off dizziness and vertigo that was so chronic and migraines that were just going on and on and on. So I had about eight, nine weeks of solid dizziness and vertigo, didn't I? Mm -hmm. I became suicidal for the first time in my life. Mm -hmm. Um... I was like, I didn't want, it wasn't that I wanted to die, I didn't want, but I did not know how I was going to survive another moment because even laying in bed, I did not feel safe because the the room room was spinning spinning around me. And rolling. Spinning and and rolling and even laying still, it would not stop and it was terrifying. Um, And then that eased up and I thought I was getting better and then I relapsed in the June and went until the very end of last year and even now I still get bouts of dizziness I still get you know migraines 50% of the time Um, but it is getting better I'm able to do things we're able to do the podcast I'm able to read again last year I couldn't look at a book couldn't look at words on a page you couldn't look at a screen couldn't look at a screen or anything whereas you know I am gradually doing better but I'm constantly aware that I have to be careful that I don't push myself too far because if I push myself too far I risk another relapse and that is the terrifying thing. Every time since 2015, every time I thought I've been doing better, mm-hmm. I've obviously pushed too far and I've relapsed. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have all these people going, oh, you just have to keep doing a bit more and build up your stamina. It doesn't work like that with chronic illness. 
um, you, you know, you can do too much and then you relapse so badly that you're in a worse place than you were before. Mm. And you end up in more pain and it's a vicious cycle because, you know, if it's... People don't understand with the chronic... The chronic means it, it just doesn't go away. It never goes away, even it on a good day. It never goes away. So you live your life the best way you can. Mm-hmm. And... I think at the moment, you know, there's the situation with is in the world is there's there's lots of people who've got ill, there's lots of people who've died because of this other oh, pandemic because yeah, of the virus massively. and and people will be getting various things if they did get covid. You've got long these, covid. The long covid they say and that is going to be massively impactful for and, and people the worst thing is, down the line because the, and, the, and we don't know. The worst thing is We've been the chronic illness community has been saying all along that this is going to cause a, a, a an ongoing pandemic of chronic illness. Yeah, because we have known for decades that people, a certain subset of people, and they don't know why, but a certain subset of people, they will get ill and they will never recover. Yeah, um, and this and it, and it's not just physical health as well. No. L- you know, the, well, there's the impact of people losing family, losing jobs, but, but losing. There's, you know, there's lo- there's lots of research saying that just getting COVID will, will will it's actually affected people's mental health. Yeah. But not in a in a in a in an obvious way that you would normally think. Um, it's actually made people so damage their it's damaged damage their organs damage their organs but it's also it's done something to their mental health Mm -hmm. so they've actually either they've killed themselves Mm -hmm. or something else has happened and it and we're going to have a a massive fallout of not of not just that but also the fact of being kept indoors Mm -hmm. being afraid for Mm -hmm. so long Mm -hmm. being scared the trauma the trauma will continue well beyond you know if we got rid of the virus today and there was no more virus we'd still have that trauma. we'd still have the trauma mm. of having to do these things that we're not normally having to do mm-hmm. and and then you've got that battle to access support yeah uh people are suddenly realizing how um how or truly awful and not fit for purpose the welfare state is it's labyrinthian the the way that the way it works it, it, as we said before but they will they will lie like taking the pip for example yeah. one of the things that i they wrote on my thing when i took it yeah. to appeal uh, and bear in mind i applied once was turned down went to mandatory reconsideration was turned down again i did not feel well enough to appeal so i had to start the process All again over again and then we went to appeal and it took 20 odd months for me to get to appeal didn't it yeah and in my paperwork um it said that i showed no signs of uh instability mm-hmm. the day before my assessment mm-hmm. i had fallen in the bathroom and hit my arm and there was a massive bruise on my arm and I had shown it to the assessor. But the, th- the thing and is... And she said, there's no sign of um, joint stiffness. Of course there's no sign of joint stiffness. My joints are too flexible. That is the problem. Yeah. And there's this, there's not a willingness to understand or, you know, to give any kind of leniency towards people who are ill. Mm-hmm. Basically, you're on your own, Jack. Mm-hmm. And it's your fault for getting ill. It's your fault you, for not being strong. You did this to yourself, obviously. Yeah. You weren't strong enough. You weren't this and that. Mm-hmm. And 
I think, you know, we are in a better place than we have been. Through therapy. Through therapy. And through look and circumstance of having been um, given the financial buffer. That has taken yeah. a massive having um, stress off Not us. having the stress of the finances being a massive problem. You know, we're not rich by any means at all, but we have... Uh, we have know, a buffer that means but, that... And we have a place that we're not going to get kicked out of. Yes, yeah. Um, that is a massive effect on people's health, mm. mental health and physical health. Mm. The less stress you can give people, the more they are able to be productive. Yeah. And there doesn't seem to be an understanding of if you give people a little bit of help, a little bit of support, mm -hmm. then you can actually get them to do a lot more mm -hmm. um, than just ripping the rug out. Oh, we've saved this amount of money. But, but what about the social costs? What about the... You know the, the the whole. Well, it's the hierarchy of needs, isn't it? If you treat, if you meet people's most basic needs, they're more able to do more. Yeah. But if you take that away, and they're so focused on having to just provide food and shelter, yeah, all their energy goes on that. And this is why I think we need to look at in the future, and I think a lot of places are, a lot of mayors are, is universal basic in income mm -hmm. and things like that. So mm -hmm. you're giving people a certain amount a month, they get it whether they're ill black white whatever yeah um they get this certain amount of month that gives them money to pay for rent mm -hmm. that gives them money to pay for food mm -hmm. it's not going to be you know it's not going to be everything and it's not going to be decadent living mm -hmm. but if they could top that up mm -hmm. if people can use that money invest it in making businesses and this is what they found that actually when you do give people money and there's been lots of very, I think they're trialing it in Wales they're they? trialing it in a few they've tried it in lots of places around the world because what they found is people actually take this money mm -hmm. they don't just waste it a lot they of them they invest it. it in themselves yeah they invest it in a business they invest it in something in tools in trade in various different things well, that they can do what? and that is it's, that is stimulating the economy. That is stimulating people to spend more, buy more, make more. Well, look at what and we isn't did. Isn't that we, what people were supposed to want? We got money, and I talked about how I felt so guilty about how much we spent last year. We spent money on moving. We spent money on surviving the pandemic. But we spent a lot of money investing in our health. Yeah. So you went to see a private consultant about something. I started hypnotherapy to help get my anxiety down from this massive... Um, overwhelming can't actually function down mm. to actually I, I'm able to deal with things now mm. um, better mm -hmm. um, that's expensive I couldn't have afforded to do that before No, I got special glasses with special lenses in to help with my migraines yeah. you know there were all these things that I was able to do which all together added together have allowed me and enabled me to be more productive yes I'm still not productive enough to be able to go out yes there's still days when you know, you have to do all the cleaning and uh, all the cooking and um, my energy has to be kept for a few things. But I'm able to create a podcast, which mm. is something productive, something which brings me joy because I'm creating something. I'm reaching out to people. We're, we're <sighs> connecting with people. That's what that's what I personally feel called to do. I'm a, I'm a communicator. I'm a writer. I'm a... a, a, a 
this is what I do best. And it's something that in the future, if I continue to get more, uh, more on top of my health issues and more able to function, I can then think, oh, I can go back and be self-employed again and I can go back into copywriting. I can, you know, there might be the opportunity for us to, uh, as, as our audience grows, to get sponsorship, which would then provide us with an income, you know, but it's all little steps. And this is the thing, if you, like I say, and I, I think it's such an essential point, is that if people do not get that help, mm-hmm. then it will be the cost to our society mm-hmm. is huge mm-hmm. in it and i'm not talking about money i'm talking about lives lost creativity lost mm-hmm. ideas all these things that, that you could get from people that you could help people if you you know if there were structures set up mm-hmm. to give disabled people the ability to work one day two day you know a small amount and of days and then have the rest to, to recover then yeah and bearing in mind we're talking about when we talk about disabled lives we're not just talking about chronic illness we're talking about chronic illness because that's what we have personally experienced and one of the things it'd be nice for us to do in the future is to do more deep dives into these things more specifically and get other people to talk about their experiences it'd be nice to get some neurodivergent people on mm-hmm. on the podcast to talk about what what how ableism affects them you know because yeah. there are different ways that you need to 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 change the way that we do things it's not just physical disabilities it's not just um mental and emotional health it's neurodivergency Mm -hmm. it's you know there's so many ways in which society fails um people if you are not the um healthy white um heteronormative generally a man um you you are so disadvantaged yeah. in our world and it, it, we're we're missing you know. we're missing such a massive range of creativity and um diverse thought and diverse yeah. ideas and invention yeah and this you know the whole spirit of trying to be independent and individualistic mm-hmm. and i think we are in an individualistic age mm-hmm. and people have kind of accepted that and that's mm-hmm. great but i think if you don't meet people's needs if you don't give them the tools if you don't give them the help the hand out and the step up mm-hmm. to be better to be better for themselves and their family mm-hmm. rather than just it, it comes down to your if you're not working you're not you're a skiver you're a shirker you're not yeah you've got no value in our society Mm -hmm. and there's clearly nonsense yeah and that you know don't get me wrong there are will always be people who are less than able to do work less than willing to do work but just as much there are people who would love to be able to do something well it's such a it's such a classist idea as well isn't it um that people who aren't working don't want to work um and that aren't willing to work it, they just haven't been given the right opportunities and the whereas right you've tools got, whereas you've got people at the top who have got there and they've got loads of money and they've got a job just because of their family connections yeah. not because of what they know no not not even because how clever they were or how wise they are it's not what you know it's literally who you know yeah and 
you could be as thick as mud and be CEO of, of your family's company. A, yeah, and because yeah. It, uh, realistically, once you get that help, once you get to the right school, when, once you get to the right place, mm-hmm. you know, mm. and, and, and again, if you've given these extra tools to get into society, things mm. like unpaid um, internships and things like that. Yeah, only so many people can afford to do that. Yeah, and yeah. certain industries that, you know, for example... The whole entertainment industry at the moment, mm-hmm. unless you've got rich parents, mm. well-off parents to yeah, support really got a you, chance. because actors, I'm, a, I'm afraid to say, actually don't have a lot of time where they're working and no. things, you know. Especially and, since the pandemic, it's yeah, really so, affected so, the arts. Unless you've got the ability to support that mm. person, mm. And, and, I, and I don't... Re- begrudge any parent supporting their child in any way why would you not want to but that's, that's and, what I don't but the thing is it's not it's not it's not equal and i don't expect it to be completely equal but it's not we need more equality we need more well there's a difference as well between equality and equity isn't there yeah and i think you know if you look at the way that things were dealt with in the past there was there were art colleges there were different things and even in within different countries you have tech colleges and there's no provision it's you know mm-hmm. there should be we should our education system should be so much more diverse oh it's awful now it, it's, I mean, it's horrendous it, was, it wasn't it's, great when we were there but it's even worse now you know we're not innovating in, in technology no. we're not innovating in any way we're not supporting people it's no going to university to get a degree in something mm-hmm. it doesn't need to be anything nowadays but the thing is as well like i was i didn't plan to go to university i wanted to train to be a teacher and then my teachers were like you should go to university first do that then get a pgce and i was like i didn't plan to do that no. but it was just expected because i was naturally a very high achiever mm-hmm. it was expected that i would go to university mm-hmm. and whilst i talked earlier about how how much better that was for my health in many many ways Mm. i didn't really enjoy academia we talked about this the other day i i didn't like getting so so uh specialized so yeah so specialized i i preferred education when we were doing a bit of this subject and a bit of that subject i liked the the diversity of learning different things i didn't like being so intensely focused on one subject um but that was what was expected of me Whereas for you, it was never expected of you. And you were like, I would have loved to have done that. I would have loved to have had the chance. But, you know, in my last job working on as in a call centre, I was working with people who'd gone and got computer science degrees mm-hmm. or various other different degrees, and they weren't able to use them. Because there aren't that many jobs in that. There aren't that many jobs yeah. in that specific industry unless you're at the top of the thing mm-hmm. now not everyone can be at the top of their game in mm. a particular industry mm. there's going to be a limit mm. and rather than it would have been better if they had trained that person in something else mm-hmm. in, in, or if they'd have given an opportunity to something more practical or something more artistic i would have loved to have done on the job training you, you know where you ex- yeah exploring something while you're doing it yeah that would have fascinated me more yeah than being in the academic environment yeah i think we we put so much store into it because it's it is an industry now mm-hmm. and it's you know 
and that's not to say that that we're against academia you know no. some people my sister absolutely loves academia yeah and it, she always wanted to go and it was brilliant and for people who but want just, to do that yeah it's a, a brilliant opportunity i just think there should be an opportunity for people to go to some sort of you know i left school when i was 16 mm-hmm. and went into work mm-hmm. that was it nowadays they keep you in school until you're 18 mm. why not keep people in longer give them a different opportunity mm-hmm. give them a different type of education also make it easier for people to go back when they're older but i think because now i sort of think i'd quite like to do academia now now that i'm older and i know what i'm interested yeah, in yeah do you know what i mean there's, there's things that i am really interested in now that i chose a degree like, oh, they've told me I need to go to university. I've got to choose something to do now. Mm. I just picked something that I enjoyed. Whereas now I'm like, all the stuff I do online, I'm like, I would have loved to go and learn about creative media mm-hmm. or something. Because mm-hmm. that would have worked so well with my desire to communicate, to learn how these different systems work, rather than, you know, I'm completely self-taught on, on online systems. And that gets you a certain place but there's lots of different gaps that i think i'd have loved to have done that mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. i didn't know that back then no so sometimes you don't realize until you're older and things like politics and history i had no interest in them when i was younger because i hadn't experienced enough of the world to understand just how influential they are mm-hmm. now i'm like they're so influential i feel like i need to know more about this and i'm not saying necessarily do a degree in it no um no, but to have opportunities to go and just sit in a lecture yeah. about something. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think, specialising has been the death of, of of anybody learning beyond their actual thing. And yeah. I think you know we do a major disservice to people. But also, mm. I think there should be more kind of experiencing work. Yeah at a younger age yeah, as yeah. well work experience for me was was an awful experience mm. because i i wasn't i didn't get the right place mm. and and the places you got were dependent on your family yeah on who you knew mm. um but you know if there was if even in a young age if you were taken somewhere and given experience to learn something it's you know i think there are people who are more physical or more practical Mm. and if you give those people the ability to do art or Mm. to express themselves through Mm. art and it doesn't have to be doing an art degree or even getting a certificate in it but it can be just opportunity opportunity to to express yourself in another way before before they got into this idea like when we were growing up Things like um, evening classes and stuff mm-hmm. were more popular. There was more yeah. funding for things like that, so yeah. you could just go to an evening. Class. Even within, you know, even within the eighties and the uh, the nineties, there was still, and this was a conservative government, and they they weren't ideal even then, but there was still this. Things were called differently. Things were social security. Yeah. Things were getting you know skilling up mm. and unless you can upskill people but also enable them to express themselves as mm. well mm. there's a whole range of things that people will miss mm. and a whole you know i think in some ways you know it, our education is the key well the things it's not just the fact that that these 
classes don't exist. It's the fact that we're all so overworked that even if the classes did exist, we wouldn't have time. We wouldn't have the time and the energy to go to them. You know, I because we've I, created a society where both people in a relationship have to work to be able to afford the thing. Both parents have to be able to work, mm-hmm. but you know. Everyone is so exhausted from working so many hours just to pay the bare minimum. Just We've got in-work poverty is this huge thing. And when you are, going back to that hierarchy of needs, when you're so focused on surviving, you don't have the time or the energy to focus on expanding. But but I think sometimes that that's what they want. They want a subservient, dull, listless robots yeah Yeah. and that that is what i i I fully oppose and and i detest about the modern right movement there's Mm -hmm. no innovation Mm. there's no nothing new there's Mm. nothing that they haven't tried there's nobody saying oh well this hasn't worked why not try this Mm. this hasn't worked let's try this and there used to be you know even within when thatcher came into power I didn't agree with any of her policies, but what that was, what she did, she she motivated people, younger people, to try and get people to to you know to to work and to and it was this idea of motivating people, and we've seemed to have lost that completely now. It, there's no motivating anybody to to do better, to do to 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 push forward, and well, there is, but the the um it's so it's muddy for, it's for productivity purposes yeah not for not for um inventiveness or creativity or personal gain. it's not yeah. for personal gain it's for we need you to be more productive we need you to be motivated to be more productive yeah um yeah i mean we may be looking through rose tinted glasses because we were children back then so <laughs> no but was, I, um, I think no I think I don't think anyone thinks always black and white. No, I is know. what I'm trying to say is that they, if, if people are trying to aspire to something, mm-hmm. if someone sets you up and says, "Oh, this is the life you could have. This is the life you well, could I aspire to," I think we've become very what's the word demoralized. I think by generally been, by politicians and and most also, both parties. But our yeah, both parties. But our generation was taught very much. You know, we're the children of baby boomers who were taught if you work hard and you do these things you can achieve all this stuff and we were raised taught that same thing but all those opportunities no longer existed for us no so we've gone oh yeah we'll grow up and we'll have a house and we'll be able to do this and we'll be able to do that and none of it has happened because yeah it doesn't exist anymore you know and so you become demoralized and you go well what's the point yeah yeah absolutely and i feel sorry for you know we're we're the geriatric millennials you know we're like you're you're the zennial thing you're 1981 i'm 1984 we're very much at the top end of that we grew up in an analog world but we became adults in a digital world Uh, you know that's that's our um our generation and things are hard enough for us but for people who are even younger than us you know i left university the year that top up fees came in so I I didn't come out with like I came out with sixteen thousand pounds of, of debt. Now it's even now it's that even. for a year. You know it's like people are coming out with massive amounts. Um, I don't know what are we doing. You know whereas people in the generation before us they got grants. Yeah. 
They didn't mm. have loans. They didn't come out with massive amounts of debt. But also, that previous generation, only a certain amount of people went to university. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, they weren't There were other opportunities well off, available. But now, they're... The, the the universities are almost like cartels in the f- respect mm. that they are because what they do it, it's 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 not about it they instead of becoming students they have customers yeah yeah they have customers who meet then they need to meet needs mm. or the, the uh, you know so it, it's it's an industry i love the fact we started talking about chronic illness and we've gone completely off yeah, well, that that's the joy of this podcast is that we generally can talk about whatever we want. This is pretty much what I, conversations I, in our relationship. But do. I think I think there's so many things that are interconnected with mm-hmm. illness and health and mental health. Well, anybody can get and, it, and 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 this is the thing that people don't understand is that anybody could get ill at any point in time. Anybody could get ill. You could get ill tomorrow. Well, you could have an accident. And you might be able to continue, but you might not. Yeah. And that's the chance that you take. And also as you get older, people get health issues. Well, that, Everyone a, gets that's older. That's a given. That's a given. Yeah. We're, we're, we're you know. What was it? I, I wrote a blog post about, we need to talk about ableism, which you can read on my blog, which is aspiraldance.com. Mm. Uh, just look for, we need mm. to talk about ableism. And the, the statistic was something like almost... Almost half of people over the age of, of what was it, 50, 60? Mm-hmm. Almost half of those people have health issues. Mm-hmm. One in two people, pretty much. Mm-hmm. So, you know, unless you're ridiculously lucky, chances are you or someone you love is going to have health issues. Yeah. And if you're supported, if you're, if you're supported at work, if you're supported at home, mm-hmm. if you haven't got the stress... Mm-hmm you know mental and physical stress mm-hmm. and that it might even be just having children yeah then you you can get on with your life but as soon as you start removing legs mm-hmm. then that's when you can fall over and that's mm. when you can fall down and mm. you know um i would hate to see the statistics for these this last year about how many people have have had have finally had enough mm-hmm. and and done something you know that Mm -hmm. they can never go back from Mm. and do we really want to be like that as a society just to leave people and reject people Mm. so yeah we're leaving this on a bit of a a bit of a downer but that's the reality and that's the reality of it and um thank you for listening to our (laughs) Our rambling ramblings today um if you want to talk to us about it, uh, we are. Um, you can find me as Spiral Dance on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, or you can find Thea at Thea at Shortman, Shortman. Yeah. Um, on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Um, oh, yeah, any comments or anything? Any comments? We're always here if you want to talk. You know, we know what it's like to go through all of this, as you as you yeah. can possibly tell. I regularly get people contacting me uh, via. Uh, direct messages that they're going through the PIP system and what resources we use. And you can always reach out to us and, and ask us for and we will try uh, and resources. Help. We will do our very, very best, best to, to support you because we know what it's like. Okay. Um, so don't go through anything on your own. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, we, uh, 
we've gone on for quite a long time today so we'll leave it there uh, and we will come back to this topic um, again in future so let us know if there's something else that you'd like us to cover about it as well um, okay thanks that's it yeah yeah okay bye for now bye <laughs>